So we are continuing our study of the seventh canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, and this is a uh, the chapter is entitled Prahlad Maharaj, the saintly son of Hiranyakashipu. And <clears throat> we're hearing about Prahlad Maharaj, and now we're going to hear, um, well, I think first his exchange with his teachers and then his exchange with his father. And <laughs> he has some very interesting news for his father that his father is not going to be very happy about. And we have one of the longest purports in the Bhagavatam, uh, the uh, where it talks about Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smarnam, hearing, chanting, remembering, uh, and the, the nine different processes of bhakti and Prabhupada discusses each of those nine topics, uh, nine angas or parts of uh, bhakti. Okay, so we are on text 15. So the great sage, uh, saint Narada Muni continued, the great soul, Prahlad Maharaj, became silent after saying this to his teachers, Sunda and Amarka, the seminal sons of Sukracharya. These so-called brahmanas then became angry at him <coughs> because they were servants of Hiranyakashipu. They were very sorry. And to chastise Prahlad Maharaj, they spoke as follows. So, yes, yeah, so the conversation had already happened with... Uh, Sanda and Amarka and Pallad, his, his uh, Pallad's two teachers, and Pallad starts talking to them about devotional service. And if you recall last week, he especially kind of focused on on the education that they gave, uh, that they're giving, which separates friends and enemies. And Pallad Maharaj is, you know, this Mahabhagavata, this great devotee who doesn't see in terms of friends and enemies, at least not in, that doesn't mean he doesn't have friends. But what it means by friends and enemies is just this, how you just, you know, look at the world and you demarcate, well, you know, okay, I'm a, you know, fill in the blank what party, what political party you belong to. And so they're my friends and the others are my enemies. Or, or you know, and this this can go on on the, on the meta level, you know, um, People of the same descent of me are my friends or the same color skin or the same gender or whatever. Or it can go even on the micro level. I, I lived in a town called Great Neck and we had Great Neck South High School and Great Neck North High School. And those two became rivals, even though from the same town. <laughs> so there was friends and enemies even, you know, in high schools. And then when I went to college, I went to University of Michigan. So Ohio State, you had to be make them your enemy. You know, and Michigan State, and you know, if you went to University of Michigan, so, so, and so, this is the whole the world, um, to a large extent, can uh, focus on that. Um, even I know because I, I work at uh, Dean, I work with a lot of um, uh, veterans, and so you know, well, yeah, Marines are the only real part of the armed forces. You know, those those. You know, army guys, they're kind of wimps and, you know, the Air Force is just a bunch of losers, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, so whatever our situation, that's my point. Whatever situation we find ourselves in this world, we can start thinking of friends and enemies like that. And so Pallad, and that's how he was being taught by his teachers. And Pallad Maharaj is like, you know, I don't see like that at all. I see everyone as part and parcel of God. Um, and everyone, you know, worthy of, uh, as, uh, you know, we have the same father. So Sunday and Marka didn't like that so much. <clears throat> so they uh, were angry at him. 
And we are going up to... Um, when you talk about friends or enemies, it makes me think of the uh, in-group, out-group thing I've heard people talk about. Is that similar? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Did you have that at St. Albans? Well, you know, actually, I remember Bhakti Tirta Swami at one very, very heavy class warned us to not get engaged in the in-group, out-group thing. It was, we'd be very bad for our spiritual life. Very bad for our spiritual life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we may, um, um, see people differently according to how they reciprocate with us and what their consciousness is like, but not you know, just, you know, this kind of blanket, you know, because of the color of the skin, because of the gender, because of the language they speak, because of, you know, so many things, you know, uh, devotee does make friends with devotees and avoids, tries to avoid too much intimate association with non-devotees only because, um, they bring, they can bring our, our consciousness down, not because they're necessarily bad people, but they're just not, they're not devotees or they have a different, um, worldview they have a different um, goal in life but yes in group out group is 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 really uh bad and um and i know at, at our temple we have such a variety of uh of devotees we have we have uh, african-american devotees we have american devotees we have devotees from india but even then we have devotees from south india we have bengali devotees we have uh, Punjab, North India, we have Gujaratis. Dean is a Gujarati, <laughs> uh, et cetera, et cetera. Right. <laughs> so, but, you know, we all come together and we worship Krishna. And we try not to, you know, say, well, this and that, and this and that. By the way, uh, it's changed a lot. They're trying to change the culture of the Navy and and the drunken sailor thing. But I can tell you it wasn't that long ago that you weren't really considered a sailor until you had fought a Marine, you know, in a bar fight and, you know, spent a night in the, in the tank. That, that was your rite of passage. No kidding. And that wasn't <laughs> yeah. too long ago. I mean, I'm, yeah, it's a long time ago, but yeah. Wow. Of course, now they're trying to get, get the whole drunken sailor image cleaned up. So Good. it's changed Good. a lot. Yeah. Well, just don't show any old movies then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with Frank Sinatra and you know <laughs> Dean Martin and yeah, very good. Thank you for that. <laughs> okay, so let's continue. Um, the next verse is sixteen, and we're going to talk about this. Oh, so the teachers say, "Oh, please bring me a stick." This Prahlad is damaging our name and fame because of his bad intelligence. He has become like a cinder in the di- dynasty of the demons. Now he needs to be treated by the fourth of the four kinds of political diplomacy. So um, in the beginning of the purport, Prabhupada writes that in political affairs, when a person disobediently agitates against the government, four principles are used to suppress him. Legal orders, pure pacification, the offer of a post, or finally weapons. When there are no other arguments, he is punished. In logic, this is called argumentum ad bakil. Oculum. So a little bit more on those four diplomatic principles. It's called the Chatushtayam. And it is Sama, Sama, which means the process of pacifying. Dhana, the process of giving money and charity, which means bribery, right? <laughs> Basically. Beda, the principle of divide and rule. And finally, Danda, 
the principle of punishment. And so this is one of the argumentum ad baculum, and it's in logic and debate, it's considered a logical fallacy. It, it may be obviously powerful, but it doesn't prove that your logic is right. Like, uh, oh, I think it was um, Lyndon Johnson, and I can't remember if he was talking about Turkey or Libya, but you know, he once said, America is like an elephant, and your country, whichever one it was, is like a fly on the elephant. And if the elephant wants to whack the fly, it can do it at any moment. So that was uh, a hint of argumentum ad baculum. <laughs> there are different logical fallacies. Um, argumentum ad, the, the, the Latin, is, you know, argumentum ad, and then argumentum ad populum, which means just because something is popular doesn't mean it's good. Right? Just like Somebody advertises the best-selling car in America. That doesn't mean it's the best car. It might be the cheapest car. They might have the best advertising campaign. So just because something is popular doesn't mean it's good. Or Prabhupada would say, you know, uh, sense gratification is popular all over the world. Uh, it's very popular, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily good. And there's other uh, argumentative. Uh, hominem is one of the big ones in logical fallacy, one of the biggest ones. Where you would, uh, you attack the person instead of their argument, right? So, uh, somebody says, you know, um, uh, Henry says we should be very strict about, uh, fasting on a codicy. And somebody says, well, you know, that Henry guy, I mean, you know, he used to hang out with small Christian so he's just a fanatic. So you're not, you're not talking about whether it's right or wrong to fast on a codicy. You, the, the argument switches. To the person. So that's called argumentum ad hominem. Uh, and there are other ones. Uh, there's also the straw man, uh, philosophy. That's a little different, but I, I was just sticking to the, um, Latin ones, but yes, yeah, just because it was brought up on the chat very kindly, um, that, uh, by Gurudas, that, um, straw man is, is different. Straw man is when you, um, when, uh, let's pick on Henry again. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's, he's, you know, Henry says, uh, well, you know, I think I, I like the old days when women were in the back of the temple. Now they take half the temple room and, you know, this just isn't fair to the men. Uh, <laughs> and you say, then you say, he says that to me. And then I say, well, what you're really saying is that you don't want women in the temple room at all. You don't even think they belong on the property. And if he gets like in the mode of, I know this is an extreme, where he gets in the mode of pack, says, that's right. You know, sometimes people, so that's a straw man, a fake. That's not what he was saying, right? But you extend the argument. And often when you do that and you get somebody who's kind of in the mode of passion, they, 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 uh, they go for the trick. <laughs> and then they say, yeah, that's right. They shouldn't be, you know, there should be a guard at the front gate, you know, <laughs> stopping all cars with women in it, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, just, just to show, that's an absurd one, but that's, that's, uh, called a straw man when you say, well, what you really mean is, and you're, you're taking a fake. So there's, we could, we could give a two hour talk on, on logical fallacies because I, I teach a course on that, but only because Prabhupada brought up this argumented ad baculum, there's other ones like ad populum, ad hominem, and more. There's more than that also. So the other point in the purport, 
is um, now this is very interesting because this is this is you know it's not so much early well actually in in many parts of the world it's not like this today. But it, there was some truth to this in the 70s. The members of our Krishna conscious movement are in a position similar to that of Prahlad Maharaj. All over the world, 99% of people are godless demons, and therefore our preaching of Krishna consciousness following the footsteps of Prahlad Maharaj is always hampered by many impediments. Because of their fault of being devotees, the American boys who have sacrificed everything for preaching Krishna consciousness are charged with being members of the CIA. Moreover, the seminal Brahmanas in India, who say that one can become a Brahmana only if born in a Brahman family, charge us with ruining the Hindu system of religion. So that was actually true, believe it or not. I don't, you know, I mean, I don't think people could believe that Westerners would just become Vaishnavas. So they just thought it was a trick of the CIA to infiltrate India. And people, you know, actually believed it. You know, and we see, I'm not going to get into politics, but we see in the newspapers somebody can say something long enough and loudly enough that people start believing them. And, and I'm not picking on any specific issue, but we know that. So that was the, that was actually there in India in, in the seventies. Not everywhere. Sometimes the devotees had amazing, um, receptions, but some people would, you know, they, they thought that. And, and then others, Cast Brahmanas, you know, because Brahman was the highest person in society, just couldn't understand how Prabhupada could make Westerners Brahmanas. You know, it was the sole right of um, of their seminal succession. So Prabhupada's spiritual master and Prabhupada really um, fought against that and established that one's position in society is based on who they are. I mean, not, not who they're, what their last name is, but on their qualities and their, and their behavior and not on their birth like that. So, but, but it's interesting to see a purport like this that brings up something from the seventies. I don't think I was ever, I lived in India for 21 years and I worked for the Supreme court and I don't think anyone ever accused me of being a CIA. I don't know what they said behind my back, of course, but uh, I don't think anyone ever accused me of being a CIA uh, person. I wouldn't have minded to be on their payroll. Uh, <laughs> I am on a government payroll now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but I wouldn't want to have worked for them. So any, any questions or comments on either the, these, these different logical fallacies or the way things were when Prabhupada wrote that purport? Okay, then let us uh, sally forth. Uh, we are going up to verses 23 and 24. So 17. This rascal, Prahlad, has appeared like a thorn tree in a forest of sandalwood. To cut down sandalwood trees, an axe is needed. And the wood of the thorn tree is very suitable for the handle of such an axe. This is such an interesting um, metaphor. But not a metaphor, it's um, more like an analogy, I believe. Lord Vishnu is the axe for cutting down the sandalwood forest of the family of demons. And this prelad is the handle for that axe. Sanda and Amarka, the teachers of Prahlad Maharaj, chastised and threatened their disciple in various ways and began teaching him about the paths of religion. And this means mundane religion. Economic development and sense gratification. This is the way they educated him. 
After some time, the teachers, Sunda and Amarka, thought that Prahlad Maharaj was sufficiently educated in the diplomatic affairs of pacifying public leaders, appeasing them by giving them lucrative posts, dividing and ruling over them, and punishing them in case of disobedience. Then one day, after Prahlad's mother had personally washed the boy and dressed him nicely with sufficient ornaments, they presented him before his father. When Hiranyakashipu saw that his child had fallen at his feet and was offering obeisances as an affectionate father, he immediately began showering blessings upon the child and embraced him with both arms. A father naturally feels happy to embrace his son, and Hiranyakashipu became very happy in this way. Narada Muni continued, My dear Yudhisthira, Hiranyakashipu seated Prahlad Maharaj on his lap and began smelling his hair, which is kind of, in India, at least you see, even today, you know, it's, that's kind of a sign of affection. I don't know if it's a kind of a Western thing or not. I don't know. Henry, did your parents used to smell your hair? Well, I've seen it many times. I always said babies say their head smells really good and they, people put their nose right in the head. I've seen it many times. Okay. All right. So maybe universal. <laughs> Uh, with affectionate tears gliding down from his eyes and moistening the, moistening the child's smiling face, he spoke to his sons as follows, his son as follows. Hiranyakashipu said, My dear Prahlad, oh dear son, oh long lived one, so much, for so much time you have heard many things from your teachers. Now, please repeat to me whatever you think is the best of that knowledge. And as we said last week, you know, Irani Kashipu was thinking, okay, he's five years old. He's going to say A, B, C, D, E, F, G, so, you know, something like that. Or, you know, his addition tables, maybe, or something on that level. It was just an affectionate request. So Prahlad Maharaj says something very different. <laughs> Prahlad Maharaj said, this is verses 23 and 24. Hearing and chanting about the transcendental holy name, form, qualities, paraphernalia, and pastimes of the Lord Vishnu. Remembering and serving the lotus feet of the Lord. Offering the Lord respectful worship with 16 types of paraphernalia. Offering prayers to the Lord. Becoming his servant, considering the Lord one's best friend and surrendering everything unto him. In other words, serving him with body, mind, and words. These nine processes are accepted as pure devotional service. One who has dedicated his life to the service of Krishna through these nine methods should be understood to be the most learned person, for he has acquired complete knowledge. So, um, yeah, that wasn't uh, part of the program, if you're in Kashipu's program, to hear something like that. <laughs> you know, talk about getting taken off guard, right? So this is a very long purport. We're not going to read the whole thing, obviously, but we're you know read certain parts of it. Um, this is a symptom of pure devotional service, Prabhupada writes. A pure devotee is interested only in devotional service, bhakti, not in material affairs. To execute devotional service, one should always engage in hearing and chanting about Krishna or Lord Vishnu. One should, next line, one should have complete faith in the words of Krishna who says that he is the great well-wishing friend of everyone, Suridam Sarva Bhutanam. A devotee considers Krishna the only friend. Now that means, well, let's let's talk about a few of those things there. Um, 
So if we could come to the simplicity of having those that kind of faith in Krishna's words, and considering Krishna the only friend, that of course means, not of course, but that means, you know, Krishna, his devotees, his his temple, his paraphernalia, etc. It doesn't mean, you know, my only friend is Krishna, and everyone else can pretty much take a hike. That's not what that means. <laughs> so he is the great well-wishing friend. So this is this is one of the keys to being a true devotee. And that is as we go through the ups and downs and the different distractions of day-to-day life, we gradually don't forget this point, that God, Krishna, is our well-wishing friend of me and of everyone else. Um, just that point, that Krishna is my well-wishing friend. That's enough to basically look at the world through a different lens. And the challenge is that, you know, we don't always have that lens about how beautiful Krishna is, how wonderful he is, what, what, what the most wonderful person, how he cares for us, how he, he's inclined to his devotees, how he, you know, has his relationship with the coward boys and Srimati Radharani, et cetera. That remembrance of Krishna um, is is uh, intermittent at best. So, um, one of our challenges is to make that gradually less and less intermittent, and more and more we're actually remembering Krishna. <clears throat> and we're going to hear about that in a minute or two. That one of the you know, the, or actually, Prabhupada mentions it here. Uh, just above that, to execute devotional service, one should always engage in hearing and chanting about Krishna. So that is the way to be remembering that Krishna is our friend. So that, that takes sadhana or practice. But we wouldn't even know how to practice it if we don't spend some time hearing about the process of bhakti. Um, fruit of workers first perform some pie. Oh, this is a very interesting topic. It- I mean, uh, the, the example that came to mind when I was thinking about this is um, there's a part of Prabhupada uh, Lilamita where um, the devotees are asking Prabhupada, if, if you were to leave, should we go to another spiritual master? And Prabhupada um, manifested transcendental tears and he said if he says even one word different it will throw you off these are my words not and and um, so in relation to that verse where Krishna says I am the supreme friend um, I've always taking it that the spiritual master is also the supreme friend out of all the devotees in the movement your spiritual master is your best well-wisher even when you know all others may or may not fall away well, maybe or maybe not. It depends on the individual relationships. Because one can have many, many spiritual masters, only one Diksha Guru, but one can have many Shiksha Gurus. And um, it's not 
something it's a it's a it's a it's part of the heart it's not it's not institution it shouldn't be so institutional in that sense it depends on your some people get initiated and never spoke to their spiritual master in their life so that you know it's a very distant really the addiction is a very distant relationship um you know and then i had the situation where my addiction guru lived in my house for 15 years <laughs> so it was a very close relationship right so it 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 uh it just depends it depends Prabhupada's situation was you know unique as a founder of acharya but we can have many shiksha guru i know many people who their closest relationship is not with their shiksha guru at all but it's with uh, a good close friend or uh, someone that they consider a shiksha guru with so it really it really depends on the you know it's a it's a matter of the heart i agree um, with everything that you just said um but the, the the personality that we take in our life to be the pure devotee of Krishna, whoever that personality happens to be, um, I I propose humbly that that's our supreme friend as well. Who who beyond? Yeah, but but I think you're looking at this. You're kind of looking at this in almost like Western relativity senses it's not like one's better supremer more supremer that's supremer there 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 there's um it doesn't have to be that exclusive you can have 10 people who are your best guides um it, it doesn't have to be you know it may be for you that way you know with his holiness satsurmarsh but that doesn't mean even other disciples of satsurmarsh think the same way it, it's 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 very individual and i can't, it's not to be we're we're you know in that sense we're very much like a uh, not a family a society with uncles and aunts and sisters and brothers um i always i, I always you know i kind of don't like it when people say this is my god brother meaning that they're initiated by the same guru as me and someone by initiated by jai patakamaj is not my god brother you know we're all, we're all Prabhupada's followers. He's the founder of Charya. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's not that bad because in a family you also have uncles, aunts, but even in, uh, we know in India, I remember when I first moved to India <laughs> and, you know, people would, in English, they would just say, oh, this is my brother and this is my brother and this one. And I was like, how many brothers do you have? <laughs> and that's, that's because cousins are considered brothers. Right, cousin, brother—they're practically considered brothers um, in that extended family kind of situation. So it's not the nuclear family of of America or of the West so much. So that's that's just what I'm saying is it's it's um, it's it's not something that we necessarily dictate in that sense. But you know, for for you it may be one way, for me it may no. be a different way. Okay, and, so uh, with with strong teeth, I uh, ask this: How do how do you interpret? That particular pastime or Prabhupada, his answer. He's a founder of Acharya. So it's very different. It's totally different than anyone else in this con. I, in my, that's how I interpret it. That he's, mm -hmm. as the founder of the organization, he's saying that. He's mm -hmm. saying that. And at the same time, he lamented so many times that his god brothers didn't join him in the mission. And he probably wouldn't have said that if, uh, he, well, I can't, I can't predicate his mind, so I don't want to say that. I don't know mm. what he would have said if, he, if, uh, if, if his guard brothers would have all joined him and, uh, they would have worked as a team. 
Um, but that wasn't Krishna's desire, obviously. And it wasn't the will of providence, which is what he talks about in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. So certainly for him, but not, I don't think that necessarily applies to, uh, to his disciples and their disciples. And, you know, Iskan, you know, we, we once calculated that, you know, in three or four generations, there may be as many as 1,000 gurus. So, you know, are we going to have like 1,000 little lines or are we going to be like one society? It's tricky what you're saying, you know, Gurudasbu, you're bringing up an important point, and that is that, you know, what Prabhupada has done, it was never done in the past. Uh, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur did it to some extent, um, you know, with the Gaudiyamat. Um, but, you know, they had this whole, this is where the big conflict happened after he left, was over, you know, um, and, and Prabhupada did not, did not, as we know, he didn't assign any successor. He assigned, he said the GBC will be the ultimate managing authority. So he, he pretty much, you know, gave that authority over to a board, which is not, not the tradition. The tradition is a mutt, there's one guru, and he has his disciples. Then when he passes away, each of those disciples sometimes start their own mutt, or they maybe team up or, or work underneath one of their godbrothers, like yeah. that. So that's how I take it. That, he was okay. talking. Uh, he wasn't necessarily talking about his disciples. Should think the same way. Thank you for taking the time and to clarify that. Yeah, well, that's me, you know, and I'm not saying I'm the absolute uh, authority in this, but that's what you asked me how I take it, so that's how I take. It. Yes, I do. Okay, so let us thank you. Thank you for uh, illuminating that point. Anyone else want to say anything before we continue? I know Henry has, you know, some of the most exalted uh, shiksha gurus. I can at least name three of them. I don't know if I'm embarrassing him, but Tamal Krishnamaraj, Bhakti Chumaraj, and Jamuna Devi. So Henry has the uh, has lucked out in the most amazing way of having close association with all three of those great souls. Uh, so let us continue then. I'm always envious of him in that sense. Okay, so uh, Prabhupada then lists the nine processes. Um, and he begins with Shravanam, which means uh, hearing. And Prabhupada says, I'm not going to, you know, we, we talk so much about Shravanam, I'm just going to uh, go over that one briefly. But unless one hears about the holy name, form, and qualities of the Lord, one cannot clearly understand the other processes of, of bhakti, of devotional service. So, Krishna consciousness begins with hearing and chanting about Krishna. And that means, you know, hearing the, uh, the, the holy name, hearing the Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, etc. And of course, chanting the Maha Mantra. But we, we do talk so much about Shravanam, I'm going to go on to. So Kirtanam is the next one, chanting and, uh, um, and Prabhupada goes over all the, was this where he does it? No, no, he goes over the 10 offenses against the holy name. And we did, again, we went over those not too long ago, but, you know, we should not speak ill of other devotees. Um, that's one. We should not consider demigods um, to be on the same level as Krishna. We should obey the teachings of, the, of our spiritual masters. Um, I, I, I added the plural there for Gurudas's pleasure. Um, we should, you know, we should, we should not 
blaspheming the Vedic literature. We should speak highly of the Vedic literature. We should um, not think that the glories of Krishna's holy name that are mentioned in the scriptures to be an exaggeration. And we should not give some kind of like, you know, twisted interpretation of the holy name. And we should not commit sinful activities on the strength of chanting. That, you know, there's, there's a difference, as we talked about before, there's a difference between, you know, a, you know, being weak in Krishna consciousness and thinking, oh, I, you know, and, and really trying not to be weak as opposed to I can go out, you know, and party hardy and then, uh, but I'll chant some rounds afterwards and that'll clean all the offenses. That is, that kind of cheating mentality, or, or I say sometimes using Krishna's name as like a, as a, a doormat, you know, the door to wipe your feet after, you know, you, before you go in the house or something like that. Um, and uh, we should not compare, we talked about this a few minutes ago in one sense, we cannot compare chanting, which is on the level of pure bhakti, with some pious activities like karmakanda and just, you know, uh, elevation to better enjoyment. Uh, and we should be careful not to get too involved in the, the esoteric glories of Krishna to one who is um, um, not ready to understand them. You know, we don't go up to people and say, oh, have you heard about the Rasalila dance? Right? And we should uh, be careful to not, uh, to not, uh, or rather to, we should awaken our attachment to the holy name and, and in a concomitant way, um, not uh, remain attached to material things, even after we hear so many instructions, or not material things, material mindset, material, um, uh, or everything focused on mine, on I, me, and mine, even after we've heard so many instructions on this matter. And then the, the additional one, which is in one sense the most important one, is to be inattentive while chanting. So it's it's not easy, but you know um, there's some nice ways, nice processes. You know, when we're chanting, it's not, even sometimes some people find it helpful, as we talked before, to do some pranayam, to quiet the mind, some breathing exercises, and then to really block out the world. You know, forget about what's uh, happening later in the day. Forget about what you read on your favorite um, 24-hour news feed earlier. Forget what this person said to you and, and you know, how uh, the garbage disposal doesn't work in your house. And, you know, just set aside every, all the clutter, 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 clutter in our minds before we sit down to chant and just be with Krishna for that period of time. All of those problems and all those considerations and all the complexities that the mind thinks about, they'll all be there after we chant. They're not going to, you're not going to, you don't have to worry about them going away or being irresponsible by neglecting them for the period of time that, that we chant. And just hear Krishna's name and feel a connection with Krishna. Uh, maybe mentally, Go to your favorite place in the world and your, maybe your favorite place to chant in the world. I actually have a favorite place. It's at the hill of, it's at the foot of Govardhan near Raghava Pandit's cave, if any of you have been to Vrindavan. And, uh, you can sit in a little, under a little tree, very close to the hill without being on the hill. <laughs> 
so that so sometimes I try to imagine that I'm sitting there as I'm chanting. So that is a uh, uh, a very deep process to just let go of everything and just let the holy name in. And you know, if you chant one round a day, then just do that for that eight minutes or seven minutes. If you chant sixteen rounds a day, to try to do that for two hours. Um, but it's it's a, it, it's there's different things, but I find that to be very helpful. And Prabhupada writes, it is recommended that even if one commits offenses, one should continue chanting the holy name. In other words, the chanting of the holy name makes one offenseless. So that's another trick of the mind. The mind will say, oh man, I chanted such lousy rounds today, so inattentive. And it's almost like you give yourself license to chant the rest of your rounds inattentively. <laughs> but we can practice detachment in the sense that we, can, we can't get those rounds back. Forget the past that sleeps, Bhaktivinoda Thakur said. <clears throat> um, and, and just concentrate on what we, what we can do right now. And that is, even if we chanted 15 and a half rounds where the mind was traversing the universe, we can chant those last half a round really nicely. Hmm. I, I was practicing this the other day. I, uh, I went into work. I just, you know, how avoiding lamentation in general. So I went into work for the first time in a year, went to my office. And you, I think there's, uh, there's like nobody there, you know, cause, uh, uh, the President Biden has suggested um, uh, maximum telework for federal employees. So, so it was the first time I went in the building in a year. And I was just, ro- what I do often is I just roam the halls because of my nature. My work is to make connections with people. So I was just meeting with people. So uh, <laughs> I, I went into this one very pretty high official there. And, of course, I was wearing a mask. So... You know, he he didn't. He was in a meeting, uh, and they were talking about some kind of heavy stuff, uh, the report to Congress, and he just kind of said, "Can I help you?" And he couldn't like figure out who I was, and I just kind of like, uh, "Oh, just saying hello." He said, "Well, we're kind of busy right now," and I said, "Okay, goodbye." And I at, for for like ten seconds, I said I was feeling, "Oh man, I just really blew that one," and lamenting. And then I said, "Well, wait a second. Our philosophy is don't." You know, nothing you can do about the past. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and apparently someone else in the meeting recognized me. So he wrote me a letter back later saying, hey, I'm so sorry that I didn't, you know, recognize. So, but I could have been lamenting and worrying. Oh, God, I don't want And I just like after 10 seconds, I just said, oh. so we can be like that with our chanting or in our life in general. Um, you know, Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, forget the past that sleeps, nor in the future dream at all. But be in times that are with thee, and progress ye shall call. So, um, so anything so far on chanting or lamentation or anything like that? Any questions, comments? About that statement. Yeah. Um, I find it very interesting that, and I agree completely, with with its essence, good. Um, and so, where does that put intelligent planning? Oh, well, I, I, it's different. There's a difference okay. between the mind just going into the future and usually worrying about it, 
you know, or a conscious say, oh, now it's time to plan our trip to Brindavan. Or, you know, Dean thinks now it's time to plan my, plan my trip back to, uh, back to the DC area. And, you know, he's got to get the airplane tickets and how's he going to get to the airport and, you know, all those things, uh, right? Or, you know, whatever, um, or, you know, we have our planning the future consciously. Okay. Now I'm going to do that is different than, Oh my God. How am I going to, you know, you, you know, what often happens with the mind is it thinks about something at a time when it can't do a damn thing about it. Right, like when you're chanting your rounds and you're thinking, "Oh gosh, how am I going to get to the airport? You know, who's going to drive me? I don't know if I feel safe in an Uber car. You know, COVID nineteen has a person been vaccinated, and you're doing that while you're chanting, <laughs> right? Or or whatever. Or you know, you're doing one thing and you're worrying about the future or lamenting about the past in the middle of doing something that you have that you can't do a darn thing about it. So that's so. Yes, there's nothing wrong with planning. Uh, remembering that General Eisenhower, or President, not only General Eisenhower, said um, planning is essential where plans are relatively useless, meaning that it's, you do need to plan and make plans, but know that they'll often be adjusted. He was, talking, he was talking about wars at that time, that, you know, when, when, when you're actually out there with the enemy, they, uh, you need to make plan, you need to have planning, but uh, they'll be adjusted. So similarly, I mean, have you ever done this? I'm sure we've all done this. At least I know I've done it so many times. I'm chanting and I'm thinking about something. I'm thinking it's so important. I don't want to forget this. It's so important. It's so important. And then after I'm done with my rounds, uh, you know, and I go and I said, oh, gosh, you know, that wasn't very important at all. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Just because. But uh, so so good question, Guru Dasbu. But yeah, that's the difference. It's uh, and the interesting thing about it is. As we all know, mindfulness is, is a huge thing right now in a multi-multi-billion dollar business. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur wrote about it, you know, hundred more than 100 years ago. And Lord Krishna wrote about it 5,000 years ago. Nasochati uh, nakankshati, he said, um, that uh, to not lament about the past or hanker after the future. So, um, yeah, we should have picked up on it and start been uh, ahead of the game by teaching mindfulness in the 70s before it was a big deal. <laughs> okay, shall we continue then? And Henry, I know you have to leave in a few minutes, so thank you for your association. So this is an important, this is an interesting paragraph. For those very familiar with Prabhupada's books, you might have said, where did this come from? So this is under Smarnam, or Remembering Krishna. According to different relationships with the Supreme Personality of God, there are varieties of Namanu Kirtanam, chanting the holy name, and thus according to different relationships and mellows or rasas of relationships, there are five kinds of remembering. These are as follows, conducting research into the worship of a particular form of the Lord, B, concentrating the mind on one subject and withdrawing the mind's activities of thinking, feeling, and willing from all other subjects, C, concentrating upon a particular form of the Lord, this is called meditation. D, concentrating one's mind continuously on the form of the Lord. This is called Duvanusmriti, or perfect meditation. And E, awakening, likening for concentration upon a particular form of the Lord. This is called Samadhi. Mental con concentration upon particular pastimes of the Lord in particular circumstances is also called remembrance. Therefore, Samadhi, trance, can be possible in five different ways in terms of one's relationship. So, I, I tried to find out a little bit more information on this. 
Um, and I got way too much information. <laughs> I contacted, uh, Banu Swami and, um, Prematurangani Mataji. And Banu Swami just told me the source of what we, I just read. And he said it was a commentary by Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur. Um, I also opened up the, um, um, database and this from Bhaktivinoda Thakur. He says, remembering Lord Krishna's name, forms, qualities, and pastimes is called smarnam. Smarnam is of five kinds. A little bit of thinking or searching is called smarna. Abstracting the mind from the previous subject matter and engaging it preliminarily in preliminary remembrance is called dharna. Particularly thinking about the Lord's form, etc., is called dhyana. Constant and uninterrupted dhyana is called druvanusmiti, and the manifestation of the object of dhyana is called samadhi. And um, another thing from Bhaktivinoda, Anyway, Bhaktivinoda Thakur basically says the same thing in several of his books. So the, the point being that our remembrance of Krishna can deepen and deepen and deepen until we are fully absorbed in remember, remembering him. And it seems to be a, um, a gradual process. Let me just see if uh, Prematurangani... Uh, where is, uh, here we go. So, yeah, she, just to give you an idea, let me just, she's very thorough, as you all know, and very scholarly. So this is what she sent me. She sent me this, uh, oh, this is, of course, what we just read from the seventh canto. And then this is from the book Jiva Dharma, which is similar to what I read to you. Um, this is also from Jiva Dharma. The most, uh, you see, she, and she even underlines everything. And <laughs> see how many pages she sent me? Bhakti Vinod, uh, Vani Vaibhav, that book. Um, <laughs> the Bhakti Sandarbha by Jiva Goswami. As previously, there is a sequence of the, in the Smarnam to make it easy, remembering after the name and form, the qualities, associates, service, and pastimes. These are the five types of remembrance. Thinking of the Lord somehow or other is smarnam, withdrawing the mind completely in a general way is, this is just what we read, tarnam, etc. So, Bhakti Sandarbha and pages and pages more, <laughs> which I won't go into all the details, but just to show you that um, there was a lot on this point. And I think the takeaway for us is that um, we... Um, there's a lot for us to, there's a lot for us to look forward to as we deepen our Krishna consciousness and our remembrance of the Lord. It's a very, it's, um, it's pretty much unfathomable. There's no end to it. And we just become more and more in love with Krishna. Yeah. Okay. So let us, uh, continue. Um, then Pada Savanam, which means literally, uh, serving Krishna's lotus feet. Um, so Prabhupada writes, when one is particularly adherent to the process of Pada Savana, this process gradually includes other processes, okay? So, see, or such as seeing the form of the Lord, touching the form of the Lord, circumambulating the, the deity, uh, visiting such places as Jagannath Puri, Dwarka, Mathura, to see the Lord's form, the different deities in those places, bathing in the Ganges and Jamuna, 
Uh, and then he says, bathing in the Ganges and, Ganges and serving a pure devotee is also known as Tadiya Upasana. This is also Padasevanam. The word Tadiya means in relationship with the Lord. So service to Vaishnavas, service to the Tulasi, to the Ganges, to the Jamuna. This, this is all included in Padasevana. All these processes of Padasevana help one advance in spiritual life very quickly. So, um, this was kind of my point to a discussion with Gurudas Prabhu earlier that yes, Krishna is our only friend, but Krishna means Tadiya, that, you know, things in relationship to Krishna. So Krishna's devotees are very much in relationship to Krishna. So by serving the devotees, in one sense, it's even better than serving the Lord, or, you know, you know what I mean? It's, it's a way of serving the Lord. And, and other things in relationship to Krishna, like Tulasi is the, the dearest plant, uh, and, and the, the holy doms and the, 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 the pure rivers and the, the, the cow, you know, the cows that, you know, Krishna's cows that provide milk for the deities and, so things, and in, in this is um, a very important part of our philosophy. You know, not only our philosophy, but our practice is to be attentive to Tadiya, those in relationship with Krishna. Because it's specifically the consciousness of a neophyte who says, it's just me and Krishna and everyone else. Eh. Or it's me, Krishna, and Guru, Guru, and everyone else is kind of, you know... Um, a, uh, you know, what is it, an extra? Like, you know, and Ben-Hur, anyway, I'm giving away my age now, but the movie Ben-Hur, I think they had 10,000 extras in that movie, you know, someone that they gave, you know, $50 to to be in the movie for, <laughs> for a day. So we don't want to think that there's just Krishna and everyone else like an extra. <laughs> you know, rather, we want to um, have great respect and affection for Krishna's devotees. That's one of the signs of a um, advancing devotee. So this is a, so this is an important concept to understand the word uh, tadia. Um, that is uh, what Ed probably says in relationship with the Lord. So those things. So even you know when we are fortunate enough to clean the. Um, the temple or the, you know, the rooms in the temple building or the kitchen or, or, uh, cut the grass at the temple or whatever. All these things are, you know, they're in relationship with the Lord. Of course, the directly ones are the Vaishnavas, Tulasi, Ganges, Jamuna, the holy places, etc. Okay. Any questions or comments on Tadia or Padasevanam? Okay. Well, then let's, uh, I know we're, you know, this is a long purport, like I said. So Archanam is deity worship. Um, and then Prabhupada explains the different devotees who attain perfection through these different um, processes of bhakti. Prichit Maharaj attained salvation simply by hearing. He heard the Srimad Bhagavatam. Sukadeva Goswami attained salvation simply by chanting. He chanted the Srimad Bhagavatam. Balad Maharaj was always remembering the Lord, so he achieved salvation that way. Lakshmi Devi, the goddess of fortune, uh, always worships the Lord's lotus feet. Prithu Maharaj was attained salvation by worshiping the deity of the Lord. Akura, by offering a prayers. Hanuman, by rendering service. Arjuna, by friendship. Bali Maharaj, 
by offering everything to the Lord. So nice, nice. And then Prabhupada says that Krihastas in particular should do, uh, should be engaged in deity worship. He said, because Krihastas devotees, however, married people, are generally engaged in material activities. And therefore, if they do not take to deity worship, their falling down is positively assured. <laughs> deity worship means following the rules and regulations precisely. That will keep one steady in devotional service. And then he says, any householder, a little later, um, householder devotee circumstantially unable to worship the deity must at least see the deity worship, means, you know, see the deity. And this way he can achieve success also. The special purpose of deity worship is to keep oneself always pure and clean. Krihasta devotees should be actual examples of cleanliness. And I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone else, but, you know, uh, cleanliness is godliness. And, um, yeah, I remember, it's funny because we have, you know, Dean who's in active military right now on the call. And I remember uh, one devotee who was ex-military who joined the Brahmachari Ashram. And his, you know, we all had lockers. And his locker was immaculate. It was so, that he folded his clothes so perfectly clean and everything. And, you know, he said, oh, yeah, well, I was in the, I was in the service. And that's, <laughs> if you didn't do that, you get dinged like anything. So um, uh, we should be, especially, but one time Prabhupada joked and he said, Brahmachari means dirty. <laughs> and, you know, uh, a lot, of, yeah. Brahmacharya ashrams are sometimes dirty, but Krihastas, especially, of course, everyone should be clean. But Krihastas should uh, set an example of of cleanliness. And uh, no, Henry's not on the call before, but he actually went to a, a, um, a military school for high school and got a lot of training in that way. Um, whereas, you know, I was one of those people who my mother cleaned up for me all the time. So. I didn't get the, that kind of training. But anyway, we should be clean. And the point is that, in one sense, deity worship forces you because you you have to wear clean cloth to worship the deity. You uh, have to take a shower before worshiping the deity. You you chant certain mantras. You you put on tilak. You you know all. There's so many rules and regulations, either directly or indirectly. Well, uh, well actually, directly about cleanliness, either internally or externally. Um, and that's one of the, you know, the beauties of, uh, and you just have to do it, you know. Um, I know, you know, in our in our family, because we have Govardhan Sheila here, so even if we come back late and exhausted, you know, someone has to take bath, put on fresh clothes, tilak, and then, you know, put the Lord, put the Lord to rest. So you just have to do that. So you have to be clean. Um, that's just the part of having deities. And then Prabhupada goes into listing all the possible offenses, um, seva aparads, that uh, one can commit in worshiping the Lord. And there's a whole list of them. Well, one, some simple ones, to enter the temple room with shoes on or being carried on a palaquin. Now, I don't think too many of us have to worry about that. But the idea is, you know, palaquin is a sign of honor and service. And you know, when you're before the Lord, you don't do stuff like that. Uh, to not observe certain, fe- you know, the, the festivals for Krishna. 
um, to avoid paying obeisances to the Lord. I know this is a tricky one because um, in certain temples during COVID, uh, like in England, they were forbidden to pay obeisances. But that was part of the cleanliness against, um, you know, they had very restricted access to taking darshan to the deities, but even then you could not pay obeisances. So, you know, you had to transgress this prescription for a higher cause. And it goes on and on and on. Um, uh, and then Prabhupada says, if one commits any of the above offenses, one must read at least one chapter of Bhagavad Gita. Hmm. And then he tells a beautiful story um, about the, the a Brahmin from Pratishthana Pura, Pura, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with the story. So I'll just, you know, he... Uh, um, well, I'll read it, I guess. One day he heard uh, a discourse in an assembly of Brahmins concerning how to worship the deity in the temple. In that meeting, he also heard that the deity may be worshipped within the mind. After this incident, the Brahmana, having bathed in the Godavari River, began mentally worshipping the Lord. He would wash the temple within his mind, and then in his imagination, he would bring water from all the sacred rivers and golden and silver water pots. He collected all kinds of valuable paraphernalia for worship. And he worshipped the deity very gorgeously, beginning from bathing the deity and ending with offering arti. Thus he felt great happiness. After many years had passed in this way, one day within his mind he cooked nice sweet rice with ghee to worship the deity. He placed the sweet rice on a golden dish and offered it to Krishna. But he felt the sweet rice um, was very hot, and therefore he touched it with his finger. He immediately felt his finger had been burnt by the hot sweet rice and thus he began to lament so this is all in his mind right but still uh, he saw his finger was burnt while the brahmana was in pain lord vishnu and vaikunta began smiling and the goddess of fortune inquired from the lord why he was smiling lord vishnu then ordered his associates to bring the brahmana to vaikunta thus the brahmana attained the liberation of samipya the facility of living near the supreme personality of god so you can even do Manasa puja and puja service to Krishna in the, in your mind, and you know I, I it's um, you can also go to holy places in your mind, and you know it's always I find it sometimes interesting to see perverted reflections in the material world. So you know there's a, there was an artist well, he's still alive named James Taylor, and he had a song that said. Uh, in my mind, I'm going to Carolina. And then the rest of the song talks about, you know, how he imagines, imagines it to be. So we can do that, not about Carolina necessarily, but, um, you know, if we've been, if we've been fortunate enough to be at holy places or even to the temple, we can go to the temple in our mind. We can take darshan of the deities in our mind. We can go to Brindavan or Mayapur, Jagannath Puri in our mind. And in many ways, that's as good as being there. And then Vandanam is to um, offer prayers to the Lord. And this will this is described the nectar of devotion that one can offer bona fide prayers that have been by the great Acharyas, like Prahlad Maharaj and like Arjuna in Bhagavad Gita and uh, so many beautiful prayers there are. Queen Kunti's prayers in the Bhagavatam and so many. Um, and, and also the great songs of Narottama Das Thakur and Bhaktivinoda Thakur. But we can also pray, you know, uh, in our relationship with Krishna and talk, you know, you know, make up our own prayers. 
we just want to make sure that they're in line with pure bhakti, with desire to serve. And then there's dasyam, or assisting the Lord as a servant. And we heard that Hanuman was a perfect example of that. Sakyam, or um, being friends with the Lord. Sudhama Vipra is the, is a, you know, Madhumangal Arjuna is a, considered somewhat lower um, form of Sakya because it wasn't Braj, it was in some awe and reverence. But still. And then finally, Atmanivedanam, surrendering everything to Krishna. And the best examples of that Prabhupada writes are found in Bali Maharaj and Ambarish Maharaj. And also sometimes found in Rukmini Devi at Torka. Okay, so any, this is a very important verse, and that's why we spent a lot of time on it. Um, and Prabhupada spent a lot of time writing a purport on it. Any questions or comments? Okay. So you, gave us an ex- you gave us an example before of uh, meditating and how you would sometimes, when you're chanting, place yourself at that spot. Yeah, I'll go over right um, yeah. How long did it t- take you to develop that, or did it just come... Uh-huh. Well, I'm still working on it, but um, yeah, uh, no, it didn't take long to to start working on it. Just you know, try to cool myself down, cool my mind down, empty it of other thoughts. Maybe do some, you know, a few deep breaths or something to just kind of center myself. Um, try to get in a comfortable place for chanting, if if possible. You know, sitting erect and uh, you know with a straight spine. Not 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 too stiff, but relaxed, but strong state, and then um, and then think of the holy place, and and uh, then focus on the holy name. It's really amazing how we're given that permission to do that, and then how that that story of how the Brahman took it up, yeah, and became totally absorbed in it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. Don't tell Chaitanya Nithai Prabhu that. Don't don't uh, tell him. In my mind, I donated two million dollars to the temple, <laughs> and he'll say, "Thanks a lot." That how much are you going to give? <laughs> okay, verse uh, twenty-five, and we're going up to thirty. Oh, you know, I, I should have, you know, I, one second, let me just, uh, I had done up to 30. I had, you know, there are, we were talking about the offenses in deity worship. So if you remember, there's a, uh, maybe any of you have done deity worship, there's beautiful prayers to um, a begging forgiveness for one's offenses. Um, one is mantra hinam, kriya hinam, bhakti hinam, janardna, yapujitam, maya deva, paripurnam, tarastumi, excuse me. Oh, my Lord, whatever little puja or worship that has been performed by me, although it is without devotion, without proper mantras, and without the proper performance, please let that become complete. Yadatam bhakti ma'atrena patram pushvam falam jalam aveditam nivedyantu tad krihanu anam paya. Whatever has been offered with devotion, the leaf, the flower, the fruit, the water, the fruit, the food offering, please accept it out of your causeless mercy. And and there's more um, like that. So there's some beautiful prayers that we can say after we've done puja. 
the worship of the Lord. Okay, so we're going up to 30. After hearing these words of devotional service from the mouth of his son, Pallad, Hirani Kashibu was extremely angry. His lips trembling, he spoke as follows to Sanda, the son of his guru, Sukracharya. Oh, unqualified, most heinous son of a Brahmana, you have disobeyed my order and taken shelter of the party of my enemies. You have taught this poor boy about devotional service. What is this nonsense? In due course of time, various types of diseases are manifest in those who are sinful. Similarly, in this world, there are many deceitful, deceptive friends in false garbs, but eventually, because of their false behavior, their actual enmity comes manifest. The sons of Sukracharya, Hiranyakashipu's spiritual master, said, O enemy of Indra, O king, whatever your son Prahlad has said was not taught to him by me or anyone else. His spontaneous devotional service has naturally developed in him. In him. Therefore, please give up your anger and do not unnecessarily accuse us. It is not good to insult a Brahmana in this way. Narada Muni continued, when Hiranyakashipu received this report from the teacher, he again addressed his son, Prahlad. Hiranyakashipu said, you rascal, most fallen of our family. If you have not received this education from your teachers, where have you gotten it from? And a very, very famous verse. Um, Prahlad Maharaj replied, because of their uncontrolled senses. This is how, you can imagine, this is how he's preaching to his father. He's five years old, right? That's what's one reason why the, it's so famous. Matir Nakrishne It's uh it's such a beautiful verse. Um and the translation is mm, the five year old child is telling his father, because of their uncontrolled senses, my dear father, persons too addicted to materialistic life make progress toward hellish conditions and repeatedly chew that which is already has already been chewed. Their inclinations towards Krishna are never aroused either by the instruction of others or by their own efforts or by a combination of both. Hmm. Prabhupada writes in the purport, he's talking about married people who are not devotees, you know, who are just totally in material life. Therefore, it is clearly stated that those who are griha brata, whose only aim is to live comfortably with the body in the material world, they cannot understand Krishna. The two expressions Griha Brata and Charvita Chara Charvananam indicate that materialistic person tries to enjoy sense gratification in different bodily forms, life after life, but is still unsatisfied. In the name of personalism, thisism, or thatism, such persons always remain attached to the materialistic way of life. So, um, this Charvita Charvananam, it's a very graphic Sanskrit saying. Chewing that which is already chewed. So, in uh, in in um, you know using India as a resource, it would be something like if you ever seen people chewing uh, sugar canes, and they chew and chew and chew, and then all that's left is like no juice but just the fibers. And if some of you throw that out, and then someone picks it up and chews on it, that's like chewing the chewed. Now, the American one is maybe more gross, but. Uh, I think it gets the point across. We've all probably may, re- those of us who grew up in the West, we may remember chewing bubble gum and then sticking it on the bottom of our desk uh, instead of throwing it out. So imagine someone taking that from the bottom of the desk and then chewing it again. I know that's kind of gross, but that's what Pilan Maharaj is basically saying is that just pursuing materialistic life uh, is just like chewing that which has already been chewed. Isn't that a, an amazing metaphor? 
And even the Sanskrit is very kind of charveta charvananam, chewing that which has already been chewed. <laughs> it's it's quite a uh, it's quite a statement. And later in the purport, a Mahatma is one who is constantly engaged in devotional service twenty four hours a day. As explained in the following verses, unless one adheres to such a great personality, one cannot understand Krishna. And Prabhupada writes that uh, Prahlad was kind of sarcastic when he was talking to his father. You know, my dear father, persons like you never understand Krishna. One can understand Krishna only by serving a mahat, a great soul. Those who try to adjust mental material conditions are said to be chewing the chewed. So, it's... uh, yeah, and this verse is, um, if you want to memorize verses, would be a good one to memorize. Matir, matir means inclination. Na, matir na krishna. Never, they're not inclined to Krishna. Either by parvata, by instructions of others, or uh, swatome, or sotaha means by one's own understanding. So either by our own understanding or by um, getting instructions from others. Hmm. And mitya means this combined effort. Abhipadyate is developed. Prihavratan, those who are too addicted to the materialistic bodily conception of life. They, they've taken a vow of Grihamedi life. So imagine a five-year-old speaking such philosophy. <laughs> Any thoughts on this? Prahlad doesn't waste a moment. No. He gets right into it. He yeah. yeah. No, he, 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 all of his answers are miles beyond the question. Yeah, yes. Like, what's the best thing you learned? Okay. Shabhanam Kirtan Vishnu Farnam. Where have I learned this? Yeah. What have you learned? So the next verse is also another super famous verse. 31. Persons who are strongly entrapped by the consciousness of enjoying material uh, life and who are therefore accepted as their leader or guru, a similarly blind man attached to the external sense objects, cannot understand that the goal of life is to return home back to Godhead and engage in the service of Lord Vishnu. Or Krishna, as blind men guided by another blind man miss the right path and fall into the ditch. So what, now, isn't that a, quite a, you know, if you, can you get that in your mind's eye? Two blind men are walking to each other, and one the one blind man is guiding the other blind man, and they miss the path and they fall into a ditch. So similarly, materially attached people led by another materially attached man are bound by the ropes of fruit of labor which are made of very strong cords, and they continue again and again in materialistic life, suffering the threefold miseries. Mm. There's so much in this uh, Sanskrit, you know. So, they don't know that the Swarta, the, the, what is the real, their real self-interest, the real goal of their life. And therefore, they, Durashvaya, uh, they take in false shelter being ambitious to enjoy in this world, and therefore they they're absorbed in ex bahi means external. Uh, they consider very valuable serving the external senses, 
and then the then the part where andantayata. Uh, so the the blind man leading another blind man. Hmm. Prabhupada writes in the purport. Hereditary. He talks a lot about the spiritual master. Hereditary gurus or spiritual masters have been accepted everywhere since time immemorial, but Prahlad Maharaj declined to accept such a seminal guru or take instructions from him. So a guru, like a devotee, is classified, I mean, like other devotees, is classified by their guna and their karma, their qualities and their activities, and not their janma, not their hereditary claim to fame. Um, the word bahi means external. Arta means in- means interest, and manina means taking very taking very seriously. Generally speaking, practically everyone in, is unaware of the spiritual world. The knowledge of the materialist is restricted within the four billion mile limit of this material world, which is in the dark portion of the creation. They do not know that beyond the material world is the spiritual world. Unless one is a devotee of the Lord, one cannot understand the existence of the spiritual world. Gurus, teachers who are simply interested in this material world are described in this world as anda, blind. Such blind men may lead many other blind followers without re- true knowledge of material conditions, but they are not accepted by devotees like Prahlad Maharaj. Such blind teachers being interested in the external material world are always bound by the strong ropes of material nature. Hmm. So yeah, they, we, you know, so... Their, con- their consciousness is not, has not been broadened, and therefore they think it's really, really important, the goings and comings of this world. You know, which sports team wins the Super Bowl, World Series, uh, basketball championship, you know, um, or this or that, just caught up in things that don't have ultimate reality. So that's why we have to find at least, at the very least, a good balance that we're dealing. You know, we're we're dealing with this with the world, um, and but we have a strong spiritual life, strong spiritual practice as well. So that's as much time as we have for this week. Uh, Dean, you've already been added to the uh, e- e- email group, so you'll see sometime next week uh, the assignment. And yeah, uh, I. Um... I actually already got the confirmation. So okay, cool. That was quick. All right. So I hope you have a very pleasant uh, week in Krishna consciousness, and uh, we'll see you all soon. Hare Krishna. Thank you. Thank you very much.